If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 78. We're in Psalm 78 today. We're not going through every psalm, nor are we going consecutively, but uh, we talked about Psalm 78 last week, or 77 last week, and picking up with 78 because they, they kind of fit together nicely as a pair. Uh, there's also some admonitions to us here about children. How do we think about children? So I'm not going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to read 1 through 20, and then I'm going to skip down to 65 and read the rest of the psalm. If you would stand with me as we honor the Word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Psalm 78. A mascal of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a new law in Israel. He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to His law. They forgot His works and the wonders that He had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, He performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, He led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Skip down to verse 65. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. 
He built a sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. It is light and life. Lord, we need it. We need hope. Would you shape us and show us Jesus, we pray. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few things, two points as, as kind of backdrop here. Psalm 78, in a sense, answers Psalm 77. Psalm 77 last week was a dark place. Deep darkness was over the writer. He was in great despair. Frozen. He couldn't sleep at night. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to think. He didn't know what to do. He was stuck in depression. Anxiety riddled his heart. He was paralyzed. And then we see in the middle of that psalm, he turns and he begins to recount these things that God had done. He thinks about the Exodus. He thinks God is strong. God is powerful. God is mighty to save. He has done glorious deeds. He has done wonderful things. And that's where his heart goes. It was more important at that time for him to know truth about God than to feel that truth. What he knew to be true about God was more important in that moment to the psalmist than the way that he felt about God. That's sometimes true for you. And it's sometimes true for me. What we know to be true about God will be at times more important than the way that we feel about God. And then an almost answer to where does this come from? How does this come down to us? The psalmist then pens this, this next one or, or puts it here in the collection right after 77. Here's 78. How does this work? It works by telling the truth to one another. We tell the truth of who God is to one another. The psalmist is drawing our attention to how this works in our daily life. We take these truths that we know about God and we teach them to our kids. We take these truths that we know about God and we teach them to others. We get this truth deep into our heart. We learn it. We know it. So when the waves hit us and dash us against the rocks, we have truth in our heart. We can know these things to be true about God and about us. The psalmist is saying, look, this is how this works in my life. I was taught these things. I was taught of the greatness of God. I was taught about His power, His goodness, His might, the way that He led us out of Egypt. 
How does this work for us in this room? Jesus. Jesus is our exodus. Jesus, our Savior, rescuing us out of death and sin, captivity, bondage, hell itself. Jesus, the very Son of God, come into the world. Perfect righteousness, a perfect life, absolutely sinless. That Jesus would then go to the the cross to take on death itself. That the Son of God would die because of love. Because God so loved the world that He gave His Son to be held up as a spectacle and shame on the cross. Dying for us. Death could not hold Him. He was vindicated in His righteousness. Vindicated in the reality that He was the very Son of God. Conquering death in glorious resurrection. And proving that He's alive. That we have life in Him. That is our exodus. That is our champion. And the question is, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to keep that news in us? Are we going to tell it to others? Are we going to tell it to our kids? The psalmist is saying, basically, look, when my, when my life is wrecked, I go back to truth. I go back to the gospel. This should be a huge encouragement. I joke every time we have a covenant baptism. I joke about uh, volunteers for nursery and children's church, but it's not really a joke. It's not. It's true. This is defiant. When our, when our babies are back there and we're holding them in our arms and they're toddling around in the nursery and we're reading verses to them, that is a worthy endeavor. At home, when we're teaching our kids to sing, to sing of the goodness of God, it's defiant and hopeful and beautiful. And we're telling truth to the coming generation should be a huge encouragement to those who work in the nursery to those who are tired but continue to to volunteer with children's Sunday school don't give up there's not a higher and better thing that you can be doing to those who volunteer to help with the little ones that go back for a, a lesson during this time it's good work One introduction, and there's another one, it's a warning, it's this, kids are are good, kids are gifts, but kids, children, aren't ultimate. Kids are good, kids are gifts, but kids aren't ultimate. This passage does talk about transmitting truth from one generation to the next. That's good, but the whole scope of the Scriptures needs to be uh, in view here. Paul even says, hey, for me, for the sake of mission, for the sake of what God has me doing for my life, it's good that I'm not married. And if you have that gift, he would say, good for you. 
Again, I think he would say it's something like this. Kids are great. Family is great. That is a way that God is an ordinary means that God uses to spread his glory over the globe. That's good and great, but it's not ultimate. It's not ultimate. Listen, kids are great. I love mine, but here's a reality. They cannot save me. They can't save me. They're not going to be good enough to save me. Today, kids demand more and more and more attention in the world to say, give them all of it. Orient your entire life around those little guys and then you'll, you'll be doing it right. It's not true. It's not true. The Bible leaves attention there. Kids are good, but they're not ultimate. With these realities in mind and and looking at the connection with the the passages, let's look at the psalm just quickly and see what it has to tell us about teaching the next generation. One is this, don't hide the truth from others. Don't hide the truth from others. Tell of the glory of God. These verses form the purpose statement of the, the psalm and will inform how we read the rest of the psalm, these opening verses, 1 through 8. The psalmist opens in this way, and it sounds like a a parable, right? Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth, here it is, in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Sounds like it's straight out of the Proverbs. And here's what he's doing. He's like, I want you to shape your life around these realities. That's kind of what Proverbs do. It's just practical wisdom. It's wisdom for daily life. So what's some wisdom that he's going to drop on us for daily life? He's about to tell us. One, he says, here's what we should do. And then two, he's going to say, this is how we do it. So one, what we do. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us. We will not hide them from our children, verse 4. But tell the coming generation the the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony, a witness in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers to teach their children and the next generation that they might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, to tell others of the glories of God, His deeds, His wonders, His might. For the psalmist, there is a working relationship between what God has done to deliver them and the way that He lives that out in His family today. Here's who God is, and here's the wonder of what He has done in the Exodus, and here's what that looks like in my life now. Same is true for us. Again, our Exodus story is much greater than the Exodus of Moses. We have a greater Redeemer in Jesus, a greater redemption. What does that mean in our lives now? Here's one thing it means. If you're a member of this church and you just said, yes, I agree to help raise Marin in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and you said, mm-hmm, that's what it means. 
Our exodus in Christ is alive in that vow that you took to raise her that way. That means you have to tell her the truth. You have to tell Marin the truth about who she is. You have to tell her the truth that she needs a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that He has done great things to save. You have to tell her of the greatness of God, His, his mighty deeds, the, the wonders of who He is. Those of us who, who know the truth about Christ, the beauty of Christ, His glory and salvation, we have to share that with others. We're to talk to our kids about the glory of Christ. That He came and dwelt among us and that He is full of grace and truth. A key component in the people of God is to tell the coming generation so that generations yet unborn will hear. Did you hear that? It's not just about our kids. The psalmist is saying it's not just about your kids. It's about your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your, your neighbor's kids and grandkids. It's not just about Marin. It's about her children and the children of everybody that she will ever share the gospel with and God will use to transform them and give life. It's about their grandkids and great-grandkids. When I grew up, I had this utterly boring testimony. I went to a Christian camp. <clears throat> we had this thing, testimony night. It was like the culmination of the week. Pretty high emotion, a, a very charged environment. And there were churches and, and people coming from all over. Big groups would come year after year from Houston. And man, the stories that we heard on testimony night. Just like, my word, what a testimony. Like straight off the streets, hooked on all kinds of things and, and this and this and this and this. And, and then I heard the gospel from this guy. And God transformed my life. And I was always like, man, I wish that were my story. You know what I did on testimony night? I stayed in my chair. Because I have a boring testimony. It goes something like this. My parents were believers. My parents talked to me about Jesus. When I was a child, I, I didn't have some complex, great faith. I just, they, they told me I was a sinner. And guess what? At some point, I believed them. You're right. I throw temper tantrums. I've got terrible attitudes. I'm selfish. You're right. Oh, Jesus. He took my place. He's my substitute. Oh, okay. I see that. Thank you, Lord. My life began to, to change, and has it always changed in this positive direction? No. That's kind of my testimony. I used to think of that as utterly boring, and now I think of it as profound and beautiful. That I don't know a day, I don't know a day, that I haven't heard the good news of Christ. The Lord views both as beautiful, doesn't He? 
Someone out here away. Those who are far off being snatched out by His great grace. It's beautiful and should be absolutely be celebrated. And so should utter ordinary uh, discipleship around your table at breakfast. A bowl of Cheerios, an open Bible in Jesus. Another way that we can think about this church, all the church, this belongs to you. 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. What you've heard from me, Paul is telling Timothy, what you heard from me in the presence of many others, right? What do you think that was? What do you think he heard from Paul in front of everyone? The gospel, the greatness of Christ. What is he supposed to do with that? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Church, this is for all of us. You're here and like, I don't have kids. This doesn't have anything to do with me. It absolutely has to do with you. Entrust these things to others who will go and tell others, who will go and tell others. This is the way Christianity works. Yes, we entrust these things to our children, but we entrust these things to our neighbor. We entrust these things to one another, who then go and tell others, who then go and tell others. This is the way that Christianity works. Why do we do it? Why do we tell the coming generation of the glorious deeds of the Lord? Is it just an utter waste of time? Verses 7 and 8 tell us. So that they should set their hope in God. We tell of His might so that they will look to Him for hope. Look, all of us come together today wanting to put our hope somewhere. All of us come together wanting to hope in something. And the world is offering a whole lot of things to hope in. So why do we again and again and again and again tell our own hearts and tell our children and tell others hope in Christ? So that we'll put our hope there. That's what he's saying. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So that they don't forget. We drive it in again and again and again. We improve our baptism day in and day out. Why is all of this done? Why the parable telling of dark sayings of old? Again, so that we would find hope. Find hope in Jesus. Not in the things of this world. Not in our jobs. Not in our spouse. That we would not find our hope in money the size of our bank account. That we would set our hope in God. So that we won't forget the works of God. If we don't tell them, the gospel is easily forgotten. 
Was the gospel good for you the first time you heard it? It's great. How about today? Thank the Lord for hearing the gospel every day when I was a child. How about today? You know I need the gospel today. I need to know who I am. I needed to witness this baptism today. I needed that. I needed to see again that I need cleansing and I have that cleansing in Christ. I needed that reminder today. We need it every day. Then he goes on so that we'll keep the commandments of God. These things shape our lives. Having hope in Christ shapes our life. We'll live it out having hope. If we don't believe it, we'll never live it. So that they will avoid the mistakes that their fathers made. It's an important reality. Do we see the mistakes in our current generation? We have huge blind spots, no doubt. But some things are just right there on the surface. This can have hundreds of applications. By teaching the gospel to our children, recounting the character and works of God to them, we enable them to see our own failures so that they can avoid our mistakes. Parents, how are we doing at that? Do we tend to give our kids the good parts version of Christianity and ourselves? Hey, here's the good parts of me. Here's the good parts of my experience with Christ, not my struggles. Listen, as as the psalmist is going through here, he's saying, here's the wondrous might of God and here's all their terrible mistakes, blind spots and idiocies, all just out here on the page. I'm going to tell you all of it. How are we doing with that? How do we raise our children in a society that has so much racial tension and strife? That's still, it's, it's very real and it's around us every day. Are we going to be complicit in it? Are we going to tell our kids that that's true and acceptable to us in our house? Are we going to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to our children and say our lives should be shaped by that reality in such a way that it over upends those societal sins? Are we going to tell the truth? Does the gospel have an impact on things like race in our city? About politics, we live in an increasingly divided and vitriolic culture. What are we going to do with our children? Are we raising them such as they would put hope in that? Their hope is in the upcoming election. The psalmist is saying, no. Tell your kids the mighty wonders of God. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the gospel. Let them put their hope in the King of kings and Lord of lords in His kingdom. Above all else. Am I saying don't let your kids vote? No, of course. Raise them to think. But their first allegiance in all things is Jesus. Are we going to raise our kids being dismissive of the local church? 
Are they going to make the mistakes of their parents? Listen, the, the, the way that our kids will view church is the way that we view church. And this is whether you get into uh, to the car with your own kids or you come together and you're around all these covenant kids. The way we view it is the way they're going to view it. How do we view our time together this morning? Is it important or is it not? Listen, if, if the glory of Christ is real and true and living, that should impact the way we view everything so that they would set their hope in God and not make the same mistakes that we make. So don't forget the past, the good and the bad. Be honest about the gospel and about yourself. The psalmist just lists, and I'm not even going to read them all. I mean, it's just time after time, things like he performed wonders for all to see in Egypt and Zone. He divided the sea and let them pass. He turned rivers to blood. He performed great signs in Egypt. He sent swarms of flies and frogs and locusts and hail and thunderbolts and a destroying angel. He made a path and struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Again and again and again, the wonderful deeds of God. For us, it looks like Jesus. Here's the wonderful person of Jesus Christ. And time after time after time, the people of Israel rebelled. It says things like this. They turned back in the day of battle. Then they still continued to sin against Him. They did not believe in God. In spite of all this, they still sinned. They deceived Him with their mouth. How often they rebelled against Him in the wilderness. They tempted and rebelled against the Most High God. The glorious deeds of God and the terrible failures of people. Are we hiding that again from others? Are we hiding it from ourselves? Our own sin, our own rebellion? We must remember our history. We must remember the gospel. We can't leave out the bad stuff when talking to our own kids, when talking to our neighbors. Why would the gospel be compelling to our neighbors if our neighbors don't believe that we really need Jesus? Hey, everything about you, I see you're, you're perfect. Like you don't need anything. Is that what they believe about us? Don't leave out the bad stuff. Lastly, don't despair. God is not done. Don't despair. God is not done. We have present hope in the gospel. Our psalm ends on this beautiful, tremendous note. He, he rejected the tent of Joseph. He's talking about the northern and southern kingdoms here in Israel. That's what's going on. And the whole time he's looking at this northern kingdom and he's like, mm, it's not good. It's not good at all. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah. Something about Judah here. Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. There's something ongoing. There's something lasting that he's saying right at the end of this psalm. He's saying, yeah, they've done all this bad stuff, but God is building a kingdom. And it's coming in Zion. And it's coming from Judah. And then he says this. He chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheepfolds. An upright heart, he shepherded them. He guided them with his skillful hand. 
God raised up David. You know what Christmas is all about? It's about the breaking in of the Son of God, the Son of David. The end of this psalm is saying, hey, have hope. You have a king. With all your failures and all your foibles, you have a king who loves you, who came and died to rescue you. You have hope in Jesus, the great son of David, king of kings and lord of lords, who laid down his life and rose again for you. Little children, this story could go on and on and on and on. Parents, how are we doing with this, with our children? Do we tell them of the goodness of Jesus? Church, how are we doing with this collectively? What, again, whether you have kids or not, these are your covenant kids. You have responsibility here in this body. And listen, how are we all doing in trusting this, these truths to others? How are we doing with our neighbors? Loving them, sharing the gospel with them. When all is said and done, do we find hope in the greater son of David? Let me encourage you today, we didn't read the entire psalm, but I'll give you that as homework. Go read it. Read the whole thing. There's nothing, no better way to spend a few minutes of your afternoon. Right? It's a long psalm. Read it. Enjoy it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Your word, it is light and life. It is truth and grace. Would you help us entrust these truths to our children, to our neighbors, so that this gospel story would continue in our midst? Would you be pleased to do that in the name of Jesus? Amen.